I've, I've killed Mary Beth. I've killed Mary Beth, and y'all, y'all will never know why because I'm keeping it to myself. Okay, let me go be breathless okay. in peace. Leave me breathless. Oh, 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 Okay, anywho, um, a bop. Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we watch disturbing and fucked up cinema so you don't have to. I'm Mary Beth. And I'm the world's number one Coors fan, Dax. (laughs) The grip that that song had on me in like 2002, you won't ever know. (laughs) Um, and we are back this week with our part one episode uh, about Ari Aster's Midsummer. Midsummer. I'm going to say Midsummer going forward because I am an American dumbass. So <laughs> I was going to say because we are on the East Coast. We yeah. Uh, we don't respect I, language. Yep. Don't respect it. Don't care. I'm saying Midsummer. Come for me. But this is our first uh, first episode of two parts because... One, this is a shorter series, but two, this movie is so goddamn long and has so much going on that it does, in fact, need two episodes. And especially because we are talking about the director's cut specifically, so the almost three-hour-long movie. Um, So, yeah. So, let's... I'm burping. Get into it. Did I ever tell you... I don't know if I ever told you this. I've tweeted about it before, but I saw the director's cut... Uh, I saw both versions in the theater. I saw the director's cut in the theater, and I was trying to be friends with my, like, ex-fiancé at the time. And and we're, like, okay now, but it was, like, new then. And um, she she canceled last minute and said, oh, like, um, I have a date with this new person I'm seeing. I was like, okay. And then um, I got to the theater... Um, with my friend and my friend went into the bathroom and washing their hands next to my friend was uh, my ex-fiance and my friend was like you're here and the my ex-fiance was like yeah the date was here so I had to sit in the theater which was a the, t- the smallest theater in the building um <laughs> with my ex-fiance and their new date um, while Midsummer was playing. And by the way, my ex-fiance cheated on me. And if they're listening to this, they know they did it and they they have acknowledged it. Like, it's okay, but I'm not, like, talking shit. <laughs> um, you must see I am. How... I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I don't know your ex-fiance. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you, you must see how... Um... This is the the worst possible movie that that could have happened yeah. at, right? Uh, yeah, you fucking think, Dax? I would have been like, I can't do this. <laughs> I would have been dannying in the <laughs> lobby of the movie theater. <laughs> oh, I was seething. I was sitting uh-huh. in my seat. I was, I like couldn't look around the theater at all because if I saw them, I knew I'd freak out. Um, so, yeah, it was like the worst possible movie could have happened during because the relationship in this movie is too accurate and um yeah (laughs) that was an experience i couldn't not see the movie though you know like i had to go i think it was one night only or like oh yeah the director's cuts yeah that's true well 
the worth things it. we do for the things we do for cinema. <laughs> yeah, worth it. I love this movie, but I know you like it a little less. So let's go I, into it. Yeah. Well, so um, I'll launch into my experience with this movie after I read this synopsis of Midsummer for those of you who are unfamiliar or just need a little bit of a reminder. All right. Let me just scratch my back real quick. Okay, cool. <laughs> Especially since a lot of people didn't see the director's cut. Yeah. Uh, this this synopsis does not, I think, go into the director's cut plot, like what's added, but we'll, we'll be pretty explicit about what's added as we talk through the episodes about this. So... Fear not, children. Um, any who's it. American psychology student Danny Arder is left deeply traumatized after her sister commits murder and complete suicide by filling their family house with carbon monoxide, killing her parents, and completing suicide on herself. The incident further strains Danny's relationship with her, her increasingly distant boyfriend of four years, cultural anthropology student Christian. Uh, as a note, the year both PhD students, or at least Christian is a PhD student, and I am also assuming that Danny is a PhD student. As summer approaches, she learns that Christian and fellow students Mark and Josh have been invited by their Swedish friend Pele to attend a midsummer festival at his ancestral commune, the Harga, in rural Hollingsland, Sweden. The festival occurs only once every 90 years, and Josh, who is writing his thesis on European Midsummer festivities, regards it as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Christian had not discussed the trip with Danny, as he intended to break up with her before the tragedy with her family. After an argument, he reluctantly invites her along. Upon arrival at the commune, they meet Simon and Connie, a couple from London who are invited by Pele's communal brother, Ingmar. He offers the group psychedelic mushrooms, and Danny has a bad trip hallucinating about her dead family. <clears throat> you know, as you do. The day after their arrival, the group witnesses an astupa ceremony, where two elders complete suicide by jumping from a cliff onto the rocks below. When one of the elders survives the fall, the commune members mimic his wails of pain and promptly mercy kill him by bludgeoning his skull with a mallet. Hard to think of mercy killing as bludgeoning his skull, but that's okay. Commune elder Siv attempts to calm Connie and Simon down by explaining that every member of their community does this at the age of 72 and believes it to be a great honor. Christian also decides to raise his thesis on the, Harga, on the Harga commune, irritating Josh for plagiarizing his idea. Bothered by the ceremonies, Danny attempts to leave but is convinced to stay by Pele. He explains that he, was, he too was orphaned after his parents perished in a fire, and the commune became his new family. Oh, I want to talk about that so bad. Um, Connie and Simon demand to leave and are, supposed, and are supposedly driven to a nearby train station one at a time. During his thesis research, Christian is told that to avoid incest, outsiders are sometimes brought into the commune for mating purposes. He is propositioned and encouraged to participate, but refuses. After unwittingly urinating on a sacred tree, Mark is lured away from the group by one of the female commune members. That night, Josh sneaks out of bed to secretly photograph one of the commune's sacred texts, despite being forbidden by an elder from doing so. Josh has his head bludgeoned and is dragged away when he is caught and distracted by a man wearing Mark's corpse's skinned face. You know. The following day, both Danny and Christian are separately coerced into taking hallucinogenic drink. Nice. Danny wins a maypole dancing competition and is crowned May Queen. Afterward, Christian is drugged and participates in a copulation ritual designed to impregnate Maya, 
a young female of the Harga, while other nude female members watch and mimic Maya's moans. Danny witnesses the ritual and has a panic attack, while the commune's women surround her, mimicking her cries of sorrow. After the ritual, <clears throat> a nude Christian tries to flee. He discovered Josh's severed leg planted in a flower bed. One of my favorite moments of this movie, I'm sorry. And Simon's corpse on display in a barn after being subjected to a blood eagle. Um, basically, his lungs are pulled out of his back. Christian is then paralyzed by an altar. For the final ceremony, the commune leaders explain that the commune must offer nine human sacrifices to purge it of its evil. The first four victims, Mark, Josh, Simon, and Connie, are outsiders lured to them by Pele and Ingmar, while the next four victims must be from the commune. As Danny, as May Queen, Danny must either choose Christian or a commune member to be the final sacrifice. <laughs> she chooses Christian, who is stuffed into a disemboweled brown bear's body and placed in a triangular wooden temple alongside other sacrifices. The commune members are to be sacrificed. The commune members to be sacrificed are given drugs and told it will prevent them from feeling fear or suffering, but Christian is not and rem remains unable to move. The structure is set alight, and the commune members mimic the screams and wails of agonies of those being burned alive. Danny initially sobs in horror and grief, but then she gradually begins to smile. I have problems with that synopsis. Was that yeah, from Wikipedia? Some... I'm on Wikipedia. Because, like, he... Okay, let's start with he doesn't refuse um, the sex ritual, it's left vague on purpose in the theatrical yeah. cut. He's like, um, he, he, he asks, like, he asks, well, can I have access to it without, like, doing the sex part? And she's like, no. And then the next part you see him leaving, like, he's, like, looking down, like, thinking, kind of a little shocked, but you don't see that he says yes or no. And it's the same in the director's cut. However, it's more clear in the director's cut that he said, okay, that he would be part of it. Right? Don't you think? Uh, it's like a little bit more clear. I think they play with like his confusion of that about the whole thing and like perhaps his like minor regret. But I think it is more like explicit that like he's willing to do that for a few reasons that aren't, that are both ac in scare quotes, academically motivated, and also he's a trash band from Trashland. <laughs> Actually, um, <laughs> we're gonna get into like the runic symbols and stuff at some point, but one of the runes that he wears um, actually does imply that he's willing to like uh, sacrifice something for the greater good. So like, it's like around that scene. Um, so it's like, he's willing to sacrifice his relationship for him. It's, it, I guess not necessarily the greater good, but, um, it's what he, it's for his, it's own, for his pursuit. Yeah. It's for his pursuit about being an academic. We'll yeah. Finish. Which he shouldn't be. But anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> um, um, so there's that I have, I had a problem with, and we'll talk about the sexual assault of christian and stuff um i don't know i don't remember the rest but that one just stuck out to me because i'm like that is not accurate <laughs> yeah i mean again this like there's a lot in this movie that they leave out in here i think what's also really interesting is that they leave out um 
Ruben, a character that I've been really interested in since the oh, yeah. this movie that um, we can talk about later, but I think is another instance that we saw on her- discussed about this with Hereditary is this use of disability um, for like mysticism and then like not really going into it mm-hmm. like in depth and kind of ableism that ha- like that is kind of like this casual ableism in this in both of Astor's movies that I think are used in a really kind of fucked up way that I don't doesn't really serve much purpose um in my opinion but we'll get to that there's a lot to dig into here because but I think the thing I wanted to start off with really quick was the beginning stuff with Danny's family because this is this is the reason why I am not as into this movie or at least one of the big reasons why because I saw this movie um, at a press screening the summer it came out and I had a panic attack when I saw it at the very beginning and I couldn't like get out of it but I was in a packed theater full of Chicago critics and I was like I and it was my first press screening ever so I was like super trying to be a professional and seem like a professional writer meanwhile I was like spiraling having a panic attack in between two old white guys so like that definitely colored. <laughs> um, was not a fun time. And then I saw it again in theaters a couple weeks later with people. And then I never, I haven't watched it until this podcast, um, which we watched. And I watched the director's cut for the first time because I can't watch this. Like, this movie makes me really, really upset. Um, okay. So I thought I misremembered, but this was your first time seeing the director's cut. This right? was my first time seeing the director's cut. Yes. And okay. I haven't watched this movie since 2019 when it came out in theaters. Um, Wow. I watch this movie. It's like a comfort movie. <laughs> uh, it, it's the opposite for me. And, like, I have a complicated relationship because I lo- I think how it represents um, a codependent, toxic relationship is really, really accurate. But the way that he... That... that Okay. So the context around here was I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder that summer. And then I saw this, like, right after I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I have bipolar two rapid cycling, so it's a, it's a it's like a less it's like a less intense version of bipolar one, um, and like who knows if that diagnosis might change at some point because diagnose I whatever. But any regardless, I diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and so I was kind of like trying to parse out my feelings about what that meant, and then I saw this movie and Danny's sister Terry, who is barely in the film, is a throwaway line where Danny goes, "Well, she's bipolar," and. Basically, her having bipolar disorder is kind of like, is the reason why that she kills her parents and then completes suicide on herself. And as someone who was recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I started to flip, I like got really upset. I was like, oh my God, like, is this what is going to happen to me? Like, is this my, like, what, and I know it's not, but it was like a really weird thing to kind of confront so soon after a, a big diagnosis like that. And the more I thought about it, the more and the more I've kind of thought about bipolar disorder representation in horror specifically, I think it's a really irresponsible thing that he did in terms of being like, yeah, she's bipolar and she's crazy. And like, it just doesn't it feel and again, it's not really revisited again. It's all that it's on Danny. Which, fine, but it just feels like a very massive thing to be doing and creating at the beginning of your film and then completely kind of leave that character in the dust. And Mm. I think, like, 
I just think it could have, he didn't need to do that. I think it's a, it's another instance of perhaps like uh, uh, unknowingly demonizing mental illness in a way that is like harmful and is in your way to create horror and create these horrific images of the sister with a fucking pipe down her throat coming from the car exhaust pipe. Like, I just think that it's not, it's just like one of the most irresponsible representations of bipolar disorder I've seen on screen. And it's the beginning of the film. And it just really, like, did not put a good taste in my mouth starting the movie. So, like, it colors my interpretation of the rest of the film. I mean, hey. (laughs) It would. Like, fair enough. I actually never thought of it that way. I thought of it um, as... I don't think think it's a good portrayal of uh, mental illness. Let me start there. Um, However, I think when she's saying you know, well, she's bipolar, it's because she's defending um, her sister against Christian, who is basically like, um, he doesn't care. And I th- I find it actually really interesting that he, that he's an anthropology student because anthropology is the study of like what makes us human beings. And he like is so far removed from being a human being. Like, um, it's it's almost laughable like um it's really on the nose he just does he's a human being but he is so devoid of like human emotion um and there are several several instances that we'll probably talk about throughout the movie but like some of them that come to mind are like this um he laughs when mark pees on the um the like tree at yeah. Harga, um, you know, they have a tree where they put all the people's ashes. Um, he laughs when Mark is doing that instead of being fucking horrified, um, like someone who's studying this culture would be. Um, he says things like to Danny that are like, How's the si- sister situation? instead of, How is your sister? when Danny's clearly upset by it. Um, and I, like- I could go on. Well, and I, I don't I don't mean that she's saying she's bipolar. I mean just even ascribing the label bipolar in the script. Like I think that was such a an that was a very specific decision and I think that decision was a poor one. I think like even labeling her with that mental illness and then never addressing it again, I think again is like just not smart or like careful yeah. in terms of mental illness. And like on one hand, I see like well, Christian, okay, whatever I say here, this is not a defense of Christian at all. Because as someone who has bipolar disorder and has been the person that has been, like, calling and, like, being perhaps a burden on somebody, I can see someone being like, oh, my God, she's calling again. Like, instead of asking about how's your sister, like, how's the sister situation? Like, I do kind of get that. But at the same time, he's a shithead who doesn't, act, like, actually care about the situation. And, like... What Astor does really well with his movies is he puts his, he puts us in these scenarios without a lot of context, and I think he does a good job. Like a lot of the time, and we saw this in Hereditary, he does a good job trying to build the world without exposition dumping on us, and I think he does that really well. I just think that at this specific point, it was like it's mental illness and like ment- someone being mentally unwell being used as only for a horror and only to push forward the like story of the protagonist and that really rubs me the wrong way i think that's totally fair i just i don't 
I think that he should have expanded a bit more on what he was talking about because when I watch it, it to me and I, I don't want to even talk about mental illness on my part, but um, I didn't take it as he was saying, well, she killed all of them because she's bipolar. But again, I know more about like bipolar disorder than the average viewer. So for me, when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, she must be in like, um, like a low cycle, like depressed. Um, and the average person watching it might not know what that means. They might just think, oh, you know, she's just crazy. So I totally and that's agree. The thing. Like, I think that's that plays into the idea that bipolar people are just like crazy and like could kill, like will kill anybody. When I'm like, most my right. people, bipolar people aren't going to do that. Like most my bipolar bi people are going to like, too. yeah, bi people too. Like I'm a, I am the, the bi squared. I'm bisexual and bipolar uh, and a Gemini <laughs> guys. What the fuck's going on up in here? Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm looking for a new host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah please don't think i'm defending his depiction no, of bipolar no, disorder because I'm, I'm not i just didn't take it that way that like danny i don't think he i i don't think he means to be saying that the reason she killed herself and her family is because she's bipolar and i don't think that danny saying she, well she's bipolar was defending um you know any oh, of her yeah. actions. It was just explaining that, like, she needs more support from her sister than Christian thinks is appropriate because yeah. and she I guess, is bipolar. I think it, and I think it just goes into this whole stigma that people, if you're bipolar, which I have seen in my life, of people just be like, oh, you're bipolar, so you're crazy. And it's like, no. No, sometimes I just like to spend a lot of money. <laughs> and, like, I have a different... Everyone's experience with bipolar disorder is different. And, like, some people who are having... Whatever. We don't get into the details. Basically, I think that he is painting with a very broad brush here that leans into stigma against mental illness. This is a very small part of this movie that I have thought a lot about. And I know it is not, like, at all, like, the big kind of discussions around this movie. But I just wanted to bring it up because I like to talk about it because I do think it is an important thing to realize that, like... Yeah, like understandably wanting to have Danny going through this, but it also kind of leans in towards the stigmatization of people who are dealing with bipolar disorder on a daily basis and like how bipolar is also like a very subject as all mental illness is a very subjective experience. Anyway, that's my little <sighs> soapbox. I wrote about this for Polygon.com in 2019 if anyone wants to read that article. I go on for many words. And then also launched into descriptions of codependence, codependent depictions of codependency, which I think this movie does incredibly well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like too well, too well. It's it too well <laughs> to the point that like it made me cry. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't make me cry, but let's get into um, the depiction of toxic relationships. Why don't we? Why don't we? So, when you first saw this, well, we know how it was when I saw the director's cut. Which, can we just real quick fill in some blanks on what is added? There's about a half hour added. Yeah, let's do that um, real quick. So, the first thing I think that I remember noticing was the car scene where they are 
on their way to the Harga village is extended. Um, yeah, uh, and I think in a very important moment that I think they should have kept in the actual cut, but... I actually kind of like that they left it out, but um, that's because I like chaos. So we'll get to that moment um, in a little bit. Uh, but um, then after that, what else? There are some extended scenes of Christian and Danny arguing. Yeah, there's an entire scene added at night. Um, oh, I love that scene. That involves a kid dressed as a Christmas tree, uh, like, vo- volunteering themselves to be sacrificed. And it it's like a whole, like, gotcha, it's not actually happening. But it's, you know, it's another moment of Danny being like, where the fuck am I? Like, is anyone else, like, not upset about the fact that we're just <laughs> watching them, like... <laughs> potentially throw a child into the river with like like shackled feet and a rock on their body like what is this i wish that was included in the wikipedia like i wish there was a director's cut one if if there isn't one Um, yeah there wasn't i couldn't find one yeah i didn't even look but um i wish it was included because this is a part so this night scene where the cult is basically like we're gonna just sacrifice this kid and it's like it's like they're all speaking kind of wooden because it it is like rehearsed um i it's before danny like i i don't think danny comes around to accepting the cult until the very end and at this point after this happens she actually does say to christian like does no one else see what's going on here? Like, this is not normal. They depend on nobody outside of this cult knowing what's happening. Um, and they get in a really long fight. But something that I found really interesting about that scene was that Danny, um, Danny is the one who stops it. She's like, no. And then everybody goes, oh, no, no, no. You showed your bravery. Like, you, you don't have to do this. And I wonder what would have happened if she didn't do that. Like, like how could they know that she was going to stop it right anyway um i found that really interesting after that directly after that scene uh there's another argument between um danny and christian and christian really shows his ass there um and basically accuses her of being manipulative because she gave him flowers at lunch and it makes him feel suffocated, and he thought it was a reminder that he forgot her birthday. And um, she's like, I just wanted to give you fucking flowers. Because um, all the girls were picking flowers. <laughs> um, what else is added in? There's a bunch of these moments that are added in that kind of give us more information about Harga. And their conditions. Like, we learn that there is a fire that has been eternally burning for a long time that they have to feed. Um, And there's just a couple of these moments of trying, of more like lore building and also showing that this place is much more sinister than is initially presented. I think that the director's cut gives us a much more kind of detailed look at what how what is going on is is very sinister and how what is going on is very much again coming back to these themes of inevitability that we talked about with hereditary all of this is planned not not one thing that these americans can do can kind of get them out of the situation 
is, is like it's it's, a, it's probably more complicated than that and like i don't fully understand some of the runic stuff going on here like and you seem to have a better grasp on that than i do so i'm excited to hear about that but anyway um one of the runes actually does um mean that everything's inevitable well just a fun fact fun fact but yeah, so we get a little bit more kind of depth in the world and like what is going on here. And again, I think Lens, so a lot, when this movie has a lot of the discussion around this movie in the years since it's come out, which hasn't been that long and it feels like it's been forever, but it hasn't. <laughs> it's because a re- it's an evergreen topic on Twitter. Uh, it, it Constantly. Everyone is fucking <laughs> talking about it constantly. It's so fucking annoying. Um, Sorry. Not Midsummer, just everyone's opinions about this movie are annoying. Um, but so a lot of the discussion is about white supremacy in this movie because it is an all white, blonde, Scandinavian cult. And I think that I, I didn't see that the first time I watched it, but watch and or the second time, but watching the director's cut, I see so much more of that now with like a lot of things, <laughs> which we'll dive into. But I think that the director's cut gives that even more credibility, which I think is a little bit disappointing in my perspective. Um, I just wish that like there had been more leaning into that in the actual release of the like in the full like the theatrical release. I think the movie would have. I just think it needed to lean. I think it leans into that in the director's cut in a way that I would have liked to see in the theatrical cut. Yeah, I I see. I okay. The director's cut is the superior version in my opinion. Like by far. Um I like both of them. I I would say I love both of them, but I think the director's cut is better because it does um give us so much more context and it's so much darker. Um but I like chaos. So like I like that um we don't fully know what's going on um, in the theatrical cut, and I think I think it is clear that there's some sort of racism going on in the theatrical cut, just because there's not one fucking black person besides <laughs> Josh, um, and uh, maybe the one British guy. Um, we he doesn't ever like say, but. Yeah, because Connie, uh, Connie, Simon, and Mark are all like pe- like people of color. Because Mark is black, and then Simon and Connie, Connie is definitely like the the British people are also like people of color, and they're Audi five thousand. It's very clear. Like, why isn't anybody else? If you depend on outsiders, you're cl- clearly only picking some outsiders. Yeah, like some well, form of outsider. And so, and that leads me to this whole, this, there's a couple, there's, there's, there's like two contradictory discussions we have yes. that I think are really interesting here because Christian is having a conversation with one of the, like the people, the Harga people. It's like a, he's, he's finally decided his thesis and he's having, he's trying to have like an interview and he's like, so like, do you guys like worry about incest and all this stuff and like the incest taboo? And he goes, the guy goes, no, like we bring in outsiders and like we have to play matchmaker and we determine who's able to mate with the other person, which again, um, let's just think about that. Like pairing the right person with the right person to make the perfect baby. That's hmm, <laughs> feels very Aryan to me. It's, it's giving Nazi. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 
But then we're very serious people. But then, like, not two seconds later, Josh is having a conversation about the um, Ruby Rotter, which is their, like, it's their, basically, like, their book of psalms, what, it's a religious text, and an elder is telling him, oh, yeah, we purposefully inbreed so we can have an oracle, and because an oracle, the oracle has to have a mind, like, a pure mind, clear of whatever the fuck, and that we have to inbreed on purpose to get an oracle. This unclouded. is literally like not two seconds after, like not two minutes after we have this conversation about pure bloodlines, once again, giving Nazi and then purposeful inbreeding to get an oracle who is unclouded, which is once again, ableism because Ruben is shown one, like a couple times in this movie. And he's you once again, like Mil- like Millie Shapiro was used in hereditary. It was like a centerpiece of marketing of like look at this person like what could have happened to them and then he's just like a side thing of like look he is our disabled oracle that's so fucked anywho anywho so i agree Sorry. <laughs> i agree um i know i sound like i'm shitting on ari asher this episode and like i am but i do like this movie i just need everyone to know i just have a lot of thoughts and feelings <laughs> You're allowed to have problems with movies you like. Actually, that's a PSA for everybody listening. (laughs) You're allowed to have problems with stuff that you like, and you're allowed to like stuff about things that you don't like. It's okay. Like, you're allowed to. Um, In fact, it's uh, good. It's actually encouraged. I think it shows that, not to toot my own horn, you're engaging with the work and understanding why, like, there are problems with it and also why you like it. I think being able to critically engage with things that you enjoy but understand why there are problems is a very important part of media literacy. That's my Yes. Box. Media literacy. So important. Also, um, I think art should be challenging. That I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably agree. <laughs> I just want to put it out there. I personally believe art should challenge you. Um, You should be able to engage with it in some way. If you're able to engage with the art, generally, that means it's not completely boring. Um, That doesn't mean just because it's provocative, it's good. Um, Yes. Please don't go. Don't even go there. Um, But We we will also fight you on that. (laughs) Um, you're allowed to think whatever you want, but I'm just saying, you know, um, just because Mary Beth has some problems with it doesn't mean she hates this movie. Um, just because I generally like this movie for exactly what it is doesn't mean I have no problems with it, because that's not true either. Um, but I also, uh, noted that, you know, that contradictory statement. I think, uh, Ruben is used in an ableist way just the way i think millie shapiro was too um and i i i think that i don't think the movie needed it i I don't think he no if the if this same movie was made without him um it would have been completely fine like he's he doesn't really need to be there um the religious text doesn't even really need to be there though i do like um I do like the scene where Josh dies, like looking at yeah. the religious text. Um, it's just like 
does does Ruben need to be there for the plot? No, he was he was definitely you. I think he was there for the marketing. Yeah, um, which is so frustrating. Yeah, it is. Like, look at the weird looking kid and the marketing. He's gonna be scary because there's a weird looking kid, and it's like, and you know what? guys, he's there's the so many. Scary. He's the he's the like exactly, and like there's so much other shit in this movie. But I, you know what? Ari Aster is such a fucking troll sometimes that I almost feel like that's purposeful. Like, yeah, he is the least scary. That was on you for thinking that. You know? It's got it's it's giving Edgelord sniffs of Edgelord. And like we after again we talked about his his some of his shorts, I it's not surprising. Um Right. But anywho, back to neopaganism. <laughs> Actually, <fucking> <laughs> Actually, we were talking, we somehow drifted way far away from it, um, but we were going to talk about um, the depiction of toxic relationships. Yes, I know. <laughs> we Do you want to get into that now, or would you rather talk of, I think we should save the neo-paganism and stuff maybe for either later or the next episode. Okay. Um, because I think it really informs the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Okay. Though, it informs the whole thing, but I think it changes the way we all will view the ending. Though, yeah. I, I like, want to talk about the racism now, but <laughs> it's hard. What should we do? Well, let's talk a little, let's, let's talk a little about the racism right now, because we already kind of got into it. I mean, I'll jump into the whole thing, but I think just talking about it a little bit more, and then we can move into the toxic relationship, start talking about the toxic relationship stuff. Okay. Yeah, um, well, so in the theatrical version, it's kind of vague as to whether they're racist. One could make the argument that they just happen to not have any black people there, or any brown people, um, I personally, as a brown person, find that to be bullshit. <laughs> but um, you could make that argument. They, I mean, they're not ever unkind to any of the people of color who are visiting. Um, so I, I don't know. And to be fair, you know, when people, when I first saw this movie and people started talking about. Um, the racist aspect of it on Twitter. I didn't really pay much attention to it. To be honest with you, I... It's like I saw that there were no POC in their little cult. Um, but I kind of disregard the moral, like, ethics of cults anyway. So to me, it wasn't surprising and I didn't think it needed to be harped on, like, on Twitter or, like, proven. Um, I, f I find that most cults seem to be pretty racist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's a given. And even for some people, I even was like, mm, that's a reach, you know, uh, for some arguments. But watching it again a few times, and by a few times, I mean many times, uh, <laughs> I was scared to watch it this time, though, to be honest with you, because my I've had such problems with my panic disorder w over the last few months, mm -hmm. um, and the depictions of panic attacks in this movie are too real, um, so I was scared to watch it this time. But Fair. As, soon as, 
I've seen it many, many times. So, um, watching the director's cut specifically again, I'm like, this is one of the most racist cults that could actually be depicted. Yep. Um, (laughs) And again, for chaos reasons, I like that it's vague, but like, if Ari Aster is making a movie where it's about somebody who's being um, manipulated into a racist cult, as I believe that this movie actually is about, and I even want to say he said that himself. Um, I didn't pull any quotes or anything, but um, I think that he should have just been really like upfront about it, or or maybe not him. Whoever was like, hey, cut this out. I think they were wrong for that if they really wanted to make a point about racism um, in, like, Trump's America. Yeah. Uh, The thing that we keep hinting at in the car scene is that Josh, one of um, Christian's uh, school, like, classmates, um, who is also going for his PhD in anthropology... um, He's carrying a book about runic symbols in their relationship to um, Hitler and the SS. Mm-hmm. Um, and Danny asks him, like, why are you carrying that? Because it has, like, a giant swastika on it. Yeah, yeah, it's very obvious. <laughs> and Josh is like, ask Pele. And Pele looks actually really annoyed, which he doesn't... Am I saying his name right? Because I'm saying I it think like... it's Pe- I think it's Pele. Pele, it's, yeah, we're fine. I'm saying it like the soccer player. That's how I say it, too. It's fine. It's Um, fine. (laughs) He looks really annoyed, which he never really looks annoyed. Um, He's very pleasant, actually, which I think is part of his, like, Pied Piper thing. (laughs) But uh, he's like, yeah, the SS, like, co-opted our runic symbol language that we use. Um... And, like, so, basically, people associate it with racism, which is true. Um, In the U.S., or anywhere, but really a lot in the U.S., um, as you could see on, like, January 6th at the insurrection, um, a lot of the, like... We'll get into neo-paganism next time, because it's too long of a topic, Um, But a lot of the neo-pagans who were involved with the insurrection, a lot of them who are in, like, uh, racist tribes, as they would say, where they're, like, fake Vikings and they use runic symbols, they're they're racist. And they're using the racist runic symbols, like, that the SS use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're hinting at. Yes. 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 (laughs) Yes. Yeah. What would you like to add? Uh, not much, because I was going to say, like, we have, there's a, I think, I think, okay, I think that there should have been a more direct connection here, and I think with that whole, like, the runic stuff and racism and not, and the connection to Nazism, not, and again, like, I'm not saying to, like, placate the Twitter brigade, because we all know that there ain't nothing going to do that, but I think that context is important, because once again, Media literacy is important. And while we don't need to, like, paint everything out for everybody, I do think that that this is, like, an important kind of through line in this movie that is perhaps almost too subtle 
And it's not because I don't want to say that because, again, it's all fucking white blonde people in Sweden in white clothes, like giggling and dancing and like playing music. And it's like very it's it's again, it's giving Nazi without that. But mm. I think because it's, you know, an Ari, a big Ari Aster movie, it would have benefited from being a tad more explicit with that connection. However, I didn't make the movie. I'm not trying to be like, here's what I would have done differently. But I do, I think that there are some instances with the director's cut where I'm like, that might have been helpful to add context. <laughs> like, yeah, we need I... a little bit more context here. Like, that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think if I had to guess part of why it was cut, not only for time, because this movie is so fucking long, it's long anyway. The theatrical cut was yeah, pretty long. two and a half hours. Yeah, the director's cut is even longer. Um, like we said, it adds about a half hour, a little less, I believe. Um, if I had to guess why it was cut, I think it was because it informs the ending too much. I think mm, okay. that, you know, a big part of why the ending is so interesting is because when Danny smiles... Um, some people are like, oh, it's a happy ending. She found a family. And other people are like, it's sad. She's in a fucking cult now. Um, and if we, if it was really explicit that they were a racist cult and not just like a weird sex cult, um, I think that it would have um, been too, too explicit that it was a bad ending for Danny. Like the the end the ending of the movie is not bad. I'm I'm saying that um it's it would be too obvious that it's a negative thing that Danny is in this cult now. Where, you know, without that context, without knowing that they're explicitly racist and they're targeting Danny because she's blonde haired, blue eyed. Um or she actually has green eyes. She's my wife, so you know. Florence Pugh, that's my wife. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Um, if yeah. we had that context, then everyone would be like, well, now she's fucking evil, you know? But without that context, you're like, well, maybe she's evil, but maybe she's just lonely. I mean, her whole family did just die. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about the movie more, the end of the movie more in depth next time. Cause I, I still haven't totally made up my mind on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's good for people to not make up their minds ever about it. Um, yeah, well, we're out of time for recording, so we can save the toxic relationship and neo-paganism <laughs> and stuff for next time. This is what happens when you get two people who have ADHD to talk about things. <laughs> And we had we tried to have notes, but sometimes you kind of just go off on your own shit. It's hard. We tried. We yeah, I have maybe, so many notes. Hell, maybe this even ends up being three parts by accident. Who knows? <laughs> hey, I'm cool with it. I think everybody else would be cool with it. We got a lot of really good feedback for the two hereditary episodes, and yeah. I I would like to actually read some of the emails that we got because they're really interesting. But we'll do that next time because I forgot till right now. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um yes so how do you feel about that like i feel good to wrap up this first one i know it's a little chaotic everyone but like 
Um, we're doing our best. I'm not a hundred percent still, and the podcast is free. So, like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, please bear yeah. with us. Bear with us. We, yeah, we appreciate all of you so uh, much. Yes, so so much. Um, well, that went by so fast. Sorry, I'm like, holy shit! Wow, we really did talk for that long, and it felt like two seconds. Um, yeah, for real. I wish we had more time now, but it's okay. We'll we'll get to it in the next two, maybe, or next one, maybe two <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the first part of our Midsummer episode. We really appreciate it. Um, you can send us thoughts and feelings about Midsummer. Feet more feedback. You can send us. You can email us at wonapodcast at gmail or you can reach out to us on Twitter at Wona Podcast. Uh, you should be following us there anyway. You can also follow Dax and I on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. And we'll be back uh, next week with part two. So thanks for listening, y'all. Go on, go on. Come on, leave, leave me breathless. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. She says, bye.